You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. I'm still not seeing leaders being promoted for their empathy and people skills. And yet that's a huge part of building the workforce of the future. So on the one hand, we have the science, but on the other, it's not being applied. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. My guest today is Neve Hannon. Now, I heard Neve speaking on another podcast and I thought she'd be a really interesting guest to have on today. And the kind of thing that we talk about are similar enough to what we spoke about last week on the podcast um, in relation to support supporting women to get to those more senior positions. However, this is a very, very different approach, a very different conversation. We talk more about the systemic biases that that are happening. We get very philosophical, but a really, really interesting conversation about how we as individuals can change the way we work and how it's about collaboration and collective change rather than competition at work as well. So uh, do get involved in the conversation after the podcast is released. I always post on social media. You'll find all of my channels on the website, happieratwork.ie. And I would love for you to join in the conversation to let me know what you think. What can we do to change and how do we go about it and do continue that conversation. As always, I'll be doing a synopsis at the end of of the key points that we talked about on today's podcast episode and, you know, maybe thought starters for the kind of things that you can do yourself to make any changes that you're looking to make in your work life. Do stay tuned for that. And again, I would love for you to get involved in that conversation. Neve, you're so welcome on the Happier at Work podcast. I've listened to you on a few other podcasts and I've been dying to get you on. So I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. Do you want to give people a little bit about your background, what you do now and how you got to do what you're doing? Sure. Thanks, Aoife. And uh, pleasure to be here. Delighted. So my name is Neve Hannan. And for your listeners abroad, that's N-I-A-M-H. <laughs> yeah, I have to spell my name as well. I can totally relate to that, Neve. <laughs> it's the first thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, So I'm a chartered psychologist. I was uh, and I'm a coach. Um, Nowadays, I work primarily with women in leadership. um, But my background is I was working in counselling psychology as a therapist for 20 years. So I had my private practice in Dublin and I closed up shop after 20 years. And that was 2019. And so retrained, I wanted to have a very clear delineation between counselling and coaching. I don't offer counselling anymore. I only offer coaching. Um, So retrained in coaching and then COVID came along. So that forced a a quick turnaround. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All the work. The the other thing is, I suppose, besides the one on one work, um, I had always worked with companies and organisations, particularly in the wellbeing arena, doing a lot of talks and wellbeing, but also offering workshops and trainings for people as well. Um, And then other kind of odd bits, Aoife, as well. So I was one of the chief kind of responders after bank raids for years. And so a critical incident responder. Wow. From a counselling perspective, is that so, you know, with the shock and with the the kind of 
terror, I suppose, that people feel if they've just encountered a bank raid. Exactly. So really, the whole idea there is prevention of trauma. Um, so right. you would brought in, and now it was in, in back in the day, it was critical incident response. Nowadays, it's psychological first aid. Um, okay. So um, I would have been, you know, brought in usually about 24 hours later to a bank after a raid, for example, or to a workplace after death or suicide of a colleague Um, or if there were mass redundancies, those type of things as well. And and offered both group intervention and one to one. Um, so we did that for years as well. Um, (laughs) So that that, all of that has kind of brought me to where I am today, where I work um, online a lot of the time now but also again I offer one-to-one coaching I also work with groups of women I offer programs and I love change and I love creativity so I tend to create a new program every year um but I also work within organizations still offering talks and 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 workshops and trainings brilliant love it maybe actually where to start is Because you mentioned that you don't do the counselling side of things anymore, that you just do coaching. And I know certainly when I was doing my my coaching studies, one of the things that we had to do was to identify what the difference is between, say, counselling, coaching and mentoring. And there may have been some, I think, consulting, I think was maybe the fourth one. Yeah. And we had to understand, really understand the differences. But there could be people out there who don't really understand what the difference is between the likes of counselling and coaching. And, and there's, I suppose, from what I've seen, and maybe it's just the people I'm connected with or the the industry that I'm in, but I see loads and loads of coaches out there. And maybe people don't fully understand exactly what the benefit is or exactly what coaches do. So do you want to, do you want to explain the difference? Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And it's not a very clear line in the sand mm-hmm. because there are so many different types of therapy, I suppose. Um, but there are also, you know, coaches take different approaches too. Um, for me, the, the key difference is that counselling really is a little bit more problem oriented. So you, yeah. it's people come in at a different place. So very often for counselling, you're coming in at a minus because you're, you know, not feeling yourself, you're struggling with maybe, you know, trauma or mental health difficulties Um or even anxiety, stress, depression, relationship issues. And very often the the root of the therapist may be to go back into the past to help you to look and to help both of you to understand where this might have started. What's the source of this issue? You know, something might be presenting in your current relationship, but actually it goes back a lot further and your whole pattern there. Um, so, so they're the two key things, I suppose, about counselling. Very often there is some kind of work going into the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also then it's it's like you're coming in more at a minus. So, you know, depending on the counselling, often it is about that kind of getting you back to normal. So it's almost like getting you back to ground zero so that you can go off and live your life as normal. Whereas with coaching, People tend to come in at ground zero and they have goals that they want to achieve to bring them up into the pluses, into the, mm-hmm. you know, the more positive experience, more thriving, I suppose. Um, so so that's kind of the difference, I think, in the spectrum of where people come in. Also, for me, coaching is more structured. So, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody in the counselling process, you're not going to start off by asking, OK, so what's your goal for today? Where do you want to get to? Because yeah. sometimes, actually, you might have to sit in some of the pain and the suffering and you may have to 
kind of go through some of that really deep water first before you can begin to even look at what the shore, new shore might look like. With coaching, you're really always trying to define what does that shore look like? Where do we want to get to? How, what difference is it going to make when you get there? Yeah. Um, and so it's more goal oriented and it's a little bit more of a structured approach in that sense as well. So that's for me. And wh- what prompted the move for you? Um, a few things, I suppose. I mean, 20 years is probably, well, for me, it was enough in, in mental health and, and yeah. illness. Um, um, also, just with the type of person I am, I love and I've re- only, you know, more and more realised this, I suppose, even since I left, that I, I love to be stimulated. So mm. even within counselling, I was always looking like I was very committed to my CPD, my continuous professional development. Um, and so at the beginning of every year, I'd kind of be looking ahead, going, oh, I wonder what new thing could I study this year? Or could I do this year? A new approach could I t- take or um, new work that I could do just to keep it interesting for me? Um, now, I was only counselling two or three days a week. I never did it full time. And again, this is just my personal story because it's going to be different strokes for different folks. Um, but I was probably getting a little bit tired of it and losing interest in it. And I didn't want that to be the case for clients. I mm. that's not fair. Um so I made the decision and I remember like I, I would have made that decision and started putting things in place in September the previous year. And it took until the following July to really close down and wind down. Yeah. Um, because you needed to give clients lots of warning and not, you know, not take on clients in the meantime. This is the other thing. The other thing is, I suppose, that as part of my work, I was getting asked to coach people occasionally um, and I enjoyed that. Um, I've probably more found my tribe among coaches, funny enough, rather than counsellors or psychologists, Um, although I have friends in in all of the above. But my kind of tribe sense of belonging is probably Mm. greater in uh, in coaching. Um, So it was kind of a natural move for me. Yeah. Sounds great. And I suppose, Neve, like one of the, the big things and you touched on it in the introduction um, and something that I'm keen to chat to you about is this idea of women in leadership and how do we help women in leadership? And I suppose let's let's not beat around the bush and be like and say that there's no issue there. I think I think it can't be argued that there is an issue. We need to get more women. We need to be able to support more women to get to those leadership positions. So any thoughts on, on maybe where do we even start? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting one, Aoife, because I felt the, the draw to work with women in leadership over the past couple of years. And what I've noticed in myself is kind of a, a, a refining of that. Mm. So what I've realised or what's maybe become more clear for me is that I'm not particularly motivated to just get women to the top if yeah. they're getting to the top of what can be a very toxic system or broken system. So I'm not interested in, in supporting women, I suppose, to be more male than the men <laughs> um, and, and climb on top of others to get there. Really, I'm interested in supporting the feminine and empowering the feminine. And that's not about eradicating the masculine. We need both. But I suppose our world has been dominated by the masculine for thousands of years. And the masculine characteristics even have been more valued. So we live in a very competitive world and that's not always healthy. So there's healthy competition and there's very unhealthy competition. If we look at war, really, as an example of very unhealthy competition and conflict at its extreme. And I suppose I have a 
just that sense or belief that it's time for the feminine to come more into the world and to be valued. I mean, we're half the population. Uh, We're doing what we do, but it's not valued. And so Mm. our voices aren't being heard. We're not being seen. And even when a woman does the same thing as a man might do, it's not valued in the same way. We're only beginning to recognise, you know, women's contributions historically in science or in technology or whereas, you know, we could list loads of famous men for, the, you know, inventing this, yeah. that or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally, you know, totally. Um, you know, again, it's not about replacing the patriarchy with the matriarchy. That's that's not healthy. <laughs> It's really about bringing more balance. Yeah, I was going to say it's about finding the balance between the two, isn't it? Yeah. And I'd love to to kind of explore that a little bit further that. And I totally um, on the same page in relation to this idea of the masculine, the feminine. What would you consider to be the more feminine qualities that that need to be recognised and valued a little bit more in society, in the workplace? Yes. Well, thinking about that, I mean, if we look at, I suppose there are lots, um, a collaboration as opposed to competition is one. For me, it comes down to probably my core value since I was 15 when I consciously chose this before I ever knew about values. Love, coming from a place of love. And, you know, both as men and women, we need to be doing that more. And I know your listeners are possibly kind of go, love, what the hell is she talking about there? Yeah, in the workplace? No. <laughs> so for me, it's it's about like everything I think can be boiled down to. You're either coming from love or you're coming from a place of fear. OK, so, yeah. And we're making decisions moment to moment throughout the day. We have interactions, you know, moment to moment throughout the day. And in everything that you do and in your whole approach, you are either coming from a place of love, which is a higher vibration or a place of fear, which is a lower vibration. And if we want to be happy at work, then we can't be operating from a place of fear. Yeah. Um, But really our whole, uh, you know, a lot of our systems and institutions are set up, run through fear. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like even thinking about the news, like I don't, I haven't watched the news in in years and before the pandemic even, I just don't watch the news. I tend to get my news and, and see the headlines from social media, which sounds really bad, but I kind of get the main points or from my friends talking about it in WhatsApp groups and things like that. But the news for sure is something that is fear mongering. You know, we don't really talk about the good news. We tend to talk about the bad news and the bad things that have happened in the world. And it's not, I suppose, about being ignorant about what's going on around me. It's more about I don't want that drilled home, like my brain, you know, and what proportion of all things that happen in the world are these bad things and they get escalated then to, you know, again, could, could probably talk about that on another episode. <laughs> I know there's loads of things I could pick up on there because um, actually, I mean, we hear more now because of global communications and social yeah. media, we hear more now about the negativity and n- bad news sells, good news yeah. doesn't sell. Yeah, so yeah. On a day when there's like a world disaster, you know, news will sell and the news stations will be watched 24-7. So the worse the news, the more tragic, the bigger impact, the, the more it sells. So bad yeah. news sells, first of all. The other thing is that 
that gives us the impression, because we're hearing from all over the world, mm-hmm. that things are much worse now than maybe they've ever been, that we're living through an awful time, all this bad stuff happening. Mm-hmm. There's the climate crisis, there's the energy crisis, there's the war in Ukraine, there's there's just, you know, there's, there's protests in Iran, there's just so much going on. Oh my God, this must be just the worst time ever. And, and actually, you know, if, to counteract that, there's a whole lot of facts that show we're probably better off than we've ever been. There's more people living longer. You know, infant mortality is greatly decreased. Mothers live longer. You know, there's just so many different things where, yes, there's hunger in a, in a, in a big scale where there shouldn't be. It's just so much of that, you know, that actually we're probably living in the best time ever. You know, it's not the dark ages. Um but we can be led into believing that. What sprung to my mind when you talked about the bad news cells, is it the case then, say, within organisations that fear cells as well? So it's it's kind of the fear mongering. And if I think back to, to my corporate days and we're talking about the results and, oh, we've got X amount of a gap, as opposed to focusing on and look how much we've achieved so far this year, And with that focus and again, going back to your idea of decisions being made from a place of fear rather than anything else, any thoughts around that and how it's, I suppose, how fear is perpetuated? Yeah, yeah, it it is because we tend to take. And I mean, if you look at even certainly in in this country and other countries, you know how, how governments are selected, it's always a short term view. Um, and companies are run for the, you know, for capitalism, for the shareholders, for, you know, getting more books out at the end of the year. You know, so that's a really short term view. And that's what's got our planet into the trouble that it is, because if I'm only thinking in the short term, as in, you know, how much money are we going to make this year? Are we going to get our shareholders happy this year or even in, in a five year plan? That's really short term. Mm-hmm. Um in the life of a company, in the life of the earth and the impact that we can have and the impact that many, many companies have had on the earth in a negative way. Uh, never mind the people. So there is always, I suppose, yeah, things are, are run by fear. And what we have is epidemic rates of depression, anxiety and stress and burnout. We have the planet where it is right now as a result. So yes, maybe it makes money in the short term or it motivates people quicker than maybe, you know, praise or compliments might. But in the long run, we're we're killing ourselves. Yeah. yeah doing yeah. that. And yeah. there's the the great resignation happening, of course, as well. In many ways, you know, like COVID brought on a lot of fear for people. It really, you know, brought the world into, you know, a, a kind of a global fear response. But it also brought us together and a lot of industries have been negatively impacted, of course, by COVID. And still the the other side of it is that it accelerated change. You know, if we're talking about women, it accelerated change for women and for families and for men too. Like I see now more men on the school runs in the morning or out pushing a pram, you know, in the mm. morning because they're able to work from home. Yeah. So that was needed and that was going to take forever. But COVID accelerated that. My concern after COVID, like this year, when I was speaking through COVID, I was speaking in a lot of companies around, you know, how to, to mind yourself through the whole pandemic and lockdown, working from home and all those changes and how and the impact that had on people. And one thing that I kind of consistently maybe pushed is that this will change again and we need to go back with our eyes open. 
We need to take what we have learned. We've learned how to slow down. We've learned that actually we prioritize people, the people that we couldn't see, you know, through COVID. Often parents and grandparents, you couldn't see uh, friends. And we realized how much we needed those connections with other people. Mm. And we got clearer maybe on what's really important to us, which wasn't having loads of money in the bank when you're sitting at home and you can't spend it in COVID. You know, it was it was people, it was connections, it was relationships, Mm. it was health. And and my my kind of warning at the time was, can we hold on to this learning and can we bring that with us? Mm. So we go back with our eyes open and a little bit more consciously and redesign our future with our eyes open consciously. Um, And unfortunately, what I'm seeing is that like this year, it's like people, you know, that the world has gone back to in many ways where we were, uh, but it's actually accelerated. It's like this, it's like the pace has just sped up to something that is spitting out people left, right and centre because it's kind of like they're going around in a wheel being tossed around and they're eventually being flung out. Yeah. Um, there's huge exhaustion and burnout. There's a lot of illness as a result. There's a lot broken about our workplaces. Um, and I think we're going to possibly hit a lot more crises and COVID has shown us that, OK, there's opportunity in crisis and um, that maybe the crisis have to happen for us to make the necessary change. Mm. We've slightly gone off topic. We'll come back to the women in leadership in a second, but I'd love to drill a bit more into what you're seeing in relation to demands uh, being placed on people, demands back to the office for three or four days a week. Um, I think, you know, it's safe to agree that a lot of companies don't really know they're trying to navigate this new way mm. of working. And what I always say to to the companies that I work with in relation to this is, you know, they're like, oh, what's the company down the road doing or what's everyone else doing? What are the best practice? There's no best practice. You need to do what you're doing. You need to ask the people who you're working with and you need to listen and you need to monitor and you need to be agile and change over time if things need to change. But there's no kind of one solution for everyone. You need to think about what different parameters you have when it comes to work. What work needs to be done together with other people? Can they do it effectively collaborating online or is it better? Or do you get kind of better outcomes if you bring people together into the office and, and really bringing it back down to that individual level, individual teams, individual work that needs to be done? I think, um, sorry, I'll get down off my soapbox now, <laughs> now in relation to that. But I'm seeing a lot of this, you know, posted on social media. And again, they're probably only the handful. And then, of course, you see the redundancies and things like that that are happening because people are saying that they've they kind of overshot during COVID and now we're heading into financial crisis or a recession or or however you want to term it. Um, Any sort of thoughts on that in relation to, well, wouldn't this be the perfect opportunity to learn to slow down, uh, learn to connect a bit more with people? from COVID times and then, you know, how is that impacting then on on the world we're seeing today? Yeah, so I, look, first of all, I absolutely share your sentiments there. Um, and there's a, maybe a few different places that I can respond. Um, uh, just, I suppose, looking, thinking about what you said in relation to COVID and COVID is the perfect opportunity and talking with companies about their well-being and saying this is an opportunity now to realise what's important. 
And fast forward uh, to now and what we're seeing out there is people uh, being called back into the office full time, mandated back to the office, should I say, as opposed to thinking about creating an environment where people want to be. But then the redundancies and things that, that, that we're seeing. And again, that could be fear mongering because I'm sure it's not every company that's doing that, but it's it's kind of what we see in the news. It's what it's what we're seeing out there. So I suppose it's is it worth thinking about how how do we still take on those learnings that we had from from COVID and how do we bring more of that back into work and how do we recognize when we're veering away from that sense of well-being that we had when we were being a bit slower at work? Yeah. If we were being slower, this is the other thing is not everyone was. Yeah. And, and this is, yeah, it was different strokes for different folks so, is, is, um, and depends on the industry that you're in and, and we're in during COVID. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have liked to have been, you know, a frontline worker. They haven't had yeah. pause at all. Um, but for for the majority, maybe working in, you know, in offices, uh, type, you know, the nine to five type jobs. Um, I, I think the, the word that's coming to me is choice. And we need to feel like we have some autonomy, that we have some control, that we have some choice. And so when people are mandated back to work, that goes against that sense of autonomy. And and, and of course, then you get resistance. And what happens then is you get disengagement and you resign or move to where they perceive they will have better choice. And I, I think choice is becoming more important as a result of COVID, you know, we want flexibility. We want more choice and we have to keep moving in that direction. It's in some tech industries, for example, or companies, you know, there may be a hundred percent online and that's working really well for them. It's, mm. it's maybe more complicated in other types of jobs where you have different types of teams are doing different types of jobs. And so, you know, some need to be in there and some could be working at home and some yeah. can be in and out. And, and that it's, it seems unfair. Yeah, it it does. And yet it it is exactly what you've said. It is this is a transition period. Mm. If we look at it as a transitionary period that we're testing out new ways of working, we don't have the roadmap. We want to throw away the old maps and we have to pioneer our way forward. And if you take that kind of mindset really that, okay, we're pioneering something here and maybe the whole world and all the companies are pioneering together at the same time. Nobody's really ahead of each other here. Um, so what do we want to create? And, and this is what I mean about going, going into things with your eyes open and conscious minded, because mm. it's like, well, we are creating here and we have to be careful that we're not just reacting like, okay, you know, this didn't go well last month, so we're going to mandate everybody to be in now. Or That's just reactive and again, fear. Um, instead of kind of taking that bigger picture, the longer term view, how do we want our workforce to be? What do we, what kind of culture do we want in this workplace? Where do we want this going? What, you know, what level of engagement even? Do we want a happy workforce or do we just want them, you know, to be cracking the whip? Um, and if we take that longer term, <laughs> I know, I know the answer to, to uh, yeah, from my perspective, but that's, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, preferably you wouldn't want to have to crack the whip. So yeah. maybe, you know, you need to ch- make some changes and, and take that longer term view of, okay, so if we're pioneering something different here, we're not going to necessarily get it right on the first go. 
rather than aiming for perfection and control, aiming instead, let's let's take an attitude of curiosity here. Let's try it and see. And we'll continuously monitor and review. And, you know, six months to a year later, we can adapt and make changes. But we need to give it enough time one way before we start reacting and making yeah. more changes again. Yeah. It hasn't been enough time to no, really, look no. at, you know. But equally, stop looking at what other people are doing. Um, and especially, you know, when these companies are getting all this press about mandating people back to the office, I don't know what sort of signal that's saying for, for other companies then in order to follow. Um, but I suppose coming back then to to what we had originally started talking about and this idea of more of the, the feminine at work, more of the kind of feminine qualities and and. You know, how do we go about valuing that more? How do we go about bringing more of that into work? It's an interesting one because, you know, if for, for years, really, if you look at, you know, Forbes or, you know, HBO or whatever, you know, the research coming out and the top skills and qualities needed for leaders for 2023 or, you know, the year ahead, a lot of those qualities and characteristics that are coming out are to do with emotional intelligence and many mm. of them are yeah. typically seen as more feminine skills. So empathy, the nurturing, the caring for each other. Most of the caring professions are overloaded with women. There's plenty of men in there, but definitely hugely female dominated, like yeah. nursing, childcare, carers around the country, nursing homes, physiotherapy, therapists of all kinds, really, whether holistic or, you know, psychological, they're all caring for other people and they're all undervalued mm. in our society. And yet that allows our society to operate. It allows the rest of us to go to work and mm. um, having people to care for our kids or our elderly or our sick or our vulnerable or people with disabilities. That allows the machine to keep rolling. And yet that's being undervalued. So it's there's so many levels, I think. And even if we look at characteristics and we're, we know that the science is saying, well, actually, this is what we need in our leaders. We need yeah. empathy. We need the people skills. We need people to care. We need people to collaborate and to listen and to share and to cooperate. And we need that psychological safety. I mean, that's huge. And mm -hmm. um, we need alignment with values. So the science is all there telling us this, but on the ground, it's just not happening yet. Not that I see anyway. I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm still not seeing leaders being promoted for their empathy and people skills. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet that's a huge part of, you know, building the workforce of the future. On the one hand, we have the science, but on the other, it's not being applied. Um, yeah. So if the likes of, you know, HBO and these big weighty Gallop publications, and, and Forbes, and, yeah, 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 and if they're saying all of this, then why is it not being applied or is it being applied, but only in a select few companies or is it those big companies? And, and dare I say the big companies with the big budget. So it's well, it's well for them that they can do that. But actually, you know, what about me and my smaller operation? I can't actually do that. Like, you know, I suppose. What are the excuses or is, is it the case that it's a complete and utter mindset shift? It's a mindset overhaul for organizations, especially where it's predominantly men in leadership positions. 
with those masculine qualities. And I'd love to come on to some of those now in, in, in a second as well. But any any thoughts on, you know, if this is what the science says, why isn't it happening? Um, I think a lot of it is it's about investing in in our leaders probably first. Um, mm. And it is a mindset shift. I mean, there's a, there's probably a, quite a lot of mindset shifts that are needed. Um, but if you're investing in your in, in people at the top and helping them and choosing them because of different qualities that they bring um, and different mindsets that they bring that will bring us into the future, that if you're selecting your leaders and then supporting them through coaching and, and development, to develop from the inside out. And I suppose that's where my real interest is. It's not about coaching skills and the outer work, really. Um, it's more about, for me, the the doing the inner work. Mm. Um, and so it, this is where it's, it's the person that comes into the professional. So people avoid that, <laughs> you know. Um, some people are genuinely motivated to evolve and grow as as a person, mm. uh, there isn't necessarily that culture around us, you know, in this country or in any country that I can see so far. Yeah. It's there, but it's it's certainly not the norm, really. And and I would like to see that the norm because I think that's where the answer lies for everything. If we we we, we need the world to kind of awaken and wake up a little bit and raise our consciousness levels. And, but even that, yeah, interestingly. This has come up so much on recent conversations on the podcast, podcast episodes that have been recorded, but not necessarily released yet. It's coming up time and time again about how we need to work on ourselves and how we need to do our own inner work. And it's not about blaming other people or blaming the situation you find yourself in. It's about stepping up and taking personal responsibility for what you own and what you can do and be motivated to change despite how hard it is, because it is hard to look at ourselves and our and our faults and look at all the things that, that have gone wrong for us maybe up to now and take personal responsibility for those. And, you know, I'll be turning, uh, I was going to say <laughs> a ripe old age, I'll be turning 44 tomorrow. It's my birthday. And so when this is released, it'll be a couple of months later. Um, but you kind of get to an age where you're like, I can't do it now, it's too late, or I can't do it now because that requires me to take personal responsibility for not having done this at the age I'm at now, whatever age you are. I don't know, am I kind of talking around in, in circles Never here? But yeah. yeah, you can only start from where you are. Exactly, exactly. Whether that's when you're 18 or you're 88, you yeah. start from where you are now. You can't, yeah. we can't go back in time. We can only start now and isn't it yeah. better to take it from now and moving yeah. forward with awareness I, I i always love the phrase this it's an old chinese saying and um, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is now yeah. you know so it's yeah and and like you say neve it's never it's never too late it's never too late and i think once you become aware of that it's really hard to not be aware of that anymore yeah. and you need to then start doing the work and, and uh, the inner journey. Yeah, and it is about taking, you know, radical responsibility in a sense for our own lives, for the impacts that we have on our own happiness and well-being, but also on other people around us. Because when you're in a leadership position, 
you have an impact. Whether you like it or not, you are impacting on other people. Yeah. So when you do that consciously, then at least you can have a positive impact on people because unconsciously you may be having a negative impact on other yeah. people. Yeah. And it can ripple out and out because, you know, then if you're having a negative impact on even one person that day, how many others do they affect? It causes this huge ripple effect. And yeah. And then somebody's coming in in worse form the next day, even though you yeah. might be in good form, they're in bad form as a result of what happened yesterday. Yeah. Coming in and, you know, there's just, it's that, it's that kind of lack of personal awareness really is, is dangerous action. Mm. Um, but, and, and of course we come into the workplace, we bring ourselves and yes, people often have a professional self and they may be more pleasant to be around in the workplace than they might be at home. Um, or, you know, and it's interesting because I do a lot of emotional intelligence work with people and they might say, yeah, I score pretty highly on some of these things at work. And I think people would think pretty highly of me and my communication skills, for example, and different things. But, you know, if you went home and asked my wife, she'd probably say something very different. <laughs> right. Or my partner. That's interesting. I wonder why. Why is that? Mm, I think at home we're with the people who are safe. So we generally, you know, will lower our guard and be more reactive. And and of course, we all know each other's little Achilles tendons in, you know, mm. in a family. And so we'll deliberately, we'll deliberately nitpick at that, that Achilles. <laughs> Yeah, or there's, or there's kind of, there's like, there's reactive patterns set up yeah. Um, yeah. and you've been with each other since whenever. So, um, so, the, so they get set up in the workplace. They can also get set up. And that's when we see, um, you know, real conflicts between colleagues or bullying and harassment. And, and, mm. and, and so again, it's, it's kind of like creating that, that safe place, but yeah, it is an interesting one how somebody can kind of switch on some skills in the workplace. But it yeah. is, you know that it's not personal when you're in the workplace. When you're at home, it's personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can get personal in the workplace yeah. too, of yeah. course. Um, but just to come back, I suppose, Aoife, my what I really believe in is working with the leader from the inside out. So developing yeah. you as a person because leadership skills, skills can be learned anywhere. But it's that awareness. And I think it's really important, like in, in coaching, whether I'm working with an individual or with a group, creating a safe space so that people can and do feel safe enough to be vulnerable, to, in a sense, expose themselves for who they really are and for what they really feel and for what's really going on. Mm. That doesn't happen in the workplace. Yeah. Um, and it often doesn't happen at home either. So, in fact, a lot of people don't have any setting for that to happen. Mm. And until we value that, we're not going to get that waking up. OK, because there's so much you can do on your own, but a huge amount is learned in relationship or, you know, with that other person's perspective, maybe mm. having it may be a coach or maybe a mentor who's kind of ahead of you in their journey, whether that's a work journey or their personal journey, you can learn from somebody else too. Brilliant. I love that. And I suppose, you know, like one of the things that struck me earlier in the conversation was this idea of competition and it, it being a very um, masculine trait. And how do we 
move more towards collaboration, especially in the working environment where we're competing for everything. We're competing for promotions, for resources, for money. You know, there's there's how do we shift that thinking into more of a collaborative approach? Mm. Well, I'm not sure that I have all the answers either. Um, my I suppose my sense is that this is a huge system. It's a way of being in the world. You know, I personally didn't set up, you personally didn't set up, but we as mm. human beings have set it up this way. So we're we're experiencing this. We're kind of part of that system. Yeah. 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 So we're part of the problem and that means we're part of the solution. So, um, you know, individually, if we all take our responsibility, then collectively and um, we can change the system. You know, it's not about fixing the system. I think it's about allowing something very different to emerge and tuning into what it is that wants to or needs to emerge. You know, one individual doesn't have to have that answer. That will come out from when you have enough people in in coming from the right place and operating from that place of maybe uh, love or care for each other or the right mindsets even are in place, then then new ideas start to form. This will be innovated, a new way of working. And I think there are probably plenty of companies out there who are already innovating ways of working the the four day week. There's a lot of research mm-hmm. being done on that, for example, you know. Um, so so it's not that this is not happening on some level. It is. It is. And it's just hasn't maybe reached a tipping point at all yet. There's still a long way to go. There will be at some point the tipping point where it's, you know, because we're seeing the old crumble and be challenged. We're seeing institutions falling. We're seeing, you know, abuse of power in in all its forms is being exposed and is being called out. Um, And there's still, of course, that doesn't mean that that's still not happening, that abuse of power. It Mm -hmm. is still happening, Um, but it's maybe getting harder for it to be hidden, um, and it, 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 it's there's there's more in place. So th- there have yeah. been huge shifts and changes, and and we need to continue with that. Yeah, really. Yeah, really interesting. I think yeah, that's that's a really I think positive way of looking at it. There's loads of stuff that's happening out there, and we just haven't reached the tipping point yet. I think when we do get to that tipping point, it's it's individuals are going to vote with their feet and they're going to leave organizations where they're not seeing that collaborative approach, where things are a little bit more aligned with how they want to be, how they want to work. You know, they want to have that greater flexibility. They want to work reduced hours, focusing on outcomes as opposed to like specific tasks. And did you achieve the task or not? And, you know, having a real meaningful impact on the world. I think that's another sort of big change that I'm seeing that taking the focus off ourselves and, and looking back into Okay, what is the impact that I want to have on the world and what is the impact I am having on the world and how do I have more of that impact? And I think collaboration, as you kind of alluded to in relation that collaboration is is the way to achieve that. So Mm -hmm. it's not the individual change that I'm going to make. It's the who can I collaborate with who are doing similar things in the world and, and how can I how can I make that change? We're getting very philosophical all of a sudden. And I feel like we haven't really uncovered this idea of, um, you know, how, how do we how do we support more women or how do we support more feminine in the workplace? 
Yeah, so I, I suppose, first of all, to, to respond to to what you were saying there, you know, and, and something earlier that you mentioned about, OK, it's maybe these really big companies that have all the money and it's easier for them to make the changes. But actually, the the big elephants are slower to move around. Good point, um, yes. Whereas yeah, yeah. often it's the startups and, you know, even in this country, like, entrepreneurship, self-employed, they're like, that's the backbone. It's going to, you know, the SMEs really. So Mm. um, there's, it's possibly easier to be versatile when you're small. It's easier to be agile. And so maybe it'll happen at a grassroots level that if we have enough people, even whether they're just themselves working or as you say, in, in collaboration with others, community, uh, I think community is really important there. So we create systems, you know, um, a neighborhood can be a community or it can be a system. And so, you know, within the workplace, we have the system and it can become a little bit us and them. But if we are creating the community and the system in the way that we want, and that is taking into account, like coming into alignment with what's really important to us mm. and our values, when we work and operate in alignment, then we're going to be more engaged, more motivated and more inspired. We're going to be happier and doing more of what we love. And when we're in that good place, then we're in a better place to give back and to care about Mm -hmm. the community and the environment and other people. So you often see with like the, the, you know, very successful people, the that actually at that point they, they they start really caring about and becoming philanthropists and what can I do? Because at first it becomes about survival and then secondly, then it's like, okay, once I know I'm surviving and I'm okay, well, what can I do for you? So we do have to, uh, you know, help people to get past that survival point where they're just fighting for survival. And then that's how you help people to maybe care for others or for the earth. If they're still fighting for their survival, then they're going to compete against their neighbour for the scrap of food that's there or the bit of oil that's left in the tank or whatever it might be. Um, So we do have to look after those kind of basic needs. And as a society, we need to be, and we're probably not too bad in Ireland at that traditionally, you know, at least we have healthcare and and things like that in place. but there's, there's other countries that are so far ahead of us in that way that when we look after the basic needs so that everybody is looked after, nobody's hungry and nobody's homeless, then everybody can go beyond themselves and build that community and, and work towards something like a higher purpose as such yeah. that whether it's the earth, the planet, you know, animals, mankind, the shift towards, you know, a, a better way of working. Um, so, yes, we have got very philosophical. Um, so coming back to your question then about, you know, how can we help women in the workplace? I think we all have to maybe hold the mirror up a little bit and um, constantly build awareness of our own mindsets and belief systems. I mean, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. Um, when I look at the kind of limiting beliefs that I was brought up with that were so normal and so ingrained, I have to be conscious and aware that I don't have my own bias 
in there because that was such a part of my childhood. Yeah. It was so normal. Mm. You know, we had the carry-on shows and the Benny Hills, and the, you know, and that was normal. <laughs> Women were objects so yeah. much. Mm. Um, and so that, that infiltrates us at an unconscious level and we can still be operating from that kind of place mm. today unbeknownst to ourselves, men and women. You know, even if you consider yourself a feminist or pro women's equality, um, you could still have those unconscious biases. So it's it's really it, you know building that awareness and becoming aware. And I'll tell you, I have a thirteen year old and an eleven year old, so they teach me stuff because yeah. they're not growing up, being brought up in the same environment at all. Things have changed, um, and 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 they'll call it out and they'll see it much faster. So we need to kind of listen to that and nurture that because they're the workforce of the future. They're the next generation coming through. This is it. This is Um, it. So I think supporting, you know, our boys and girls now, you know, geez, in like 10 years time, they join the workforce. It's not long. It's not long. (laughs) So um, we'll see those those changes happening. so that's certainly one way I think is look after our children yeah. and nurturing the kinds of mindsets and attitudes that they're being brought up with. Um, being their emotional coach, helping them to navigate their emotions and express their emotions so that boys aren't learning that boys don't cry mm. you know, or that girls aren't learning that you can't be angry ever. Um you know, so changing those kind of old values that don't serve us anymore. It's not about changing things overnight. There's there's world shifts, global shifts needed. So yeah. and they are happening in different ways. And we can all do our part by being more conscious with our own attitudes and value systems, those of our children, what we bring into the workplace, you know, shining a light into those dark corners so that the unconscious becomes more conscious and we see what we're doing by paying you know, the child minder less or, or the cleaner or whatever, you know, all of these things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, you know, something that occurred to me when you were talking previously is this idea of it, it's perhaps it's making individuals aware that they do have a choice, that if they find themselves in a situation where they're not being recognized, if they find themselves in a situation where there's bullying or there is um unethical things happening at work that there's somewhere else out there. And I think sometimes when we're stuck in that type of situation, we don't think there's any way out. But reminding people that there there are other options, there are other organisations. And I think sometimes when you feel that way, you feel like you're stuck because various different reasons, like you have the, the mortgage to pay, you have, you know, maybe the kids are in, in private school or they're going to college or something that, you know, there's always an excuse to stay in a place that is not really serving you very well. But let this be a reminder that you always have a choice, you know, and whether that's choosing to stay where you are for various different reasons or choosing to leave because you want something better, you want to have a greater impact or you want to reduce the negative impact that you're having on the world, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And and again, it's that word choice. And when somebody is feeling stuck, they don't realize that they're choosing to stay where they are in mm. that job, for example, that they, yeah. they don't see that as choice. And exactly. yet it actually yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and there are always other options, but 
there is a need to empower people past the stuckness and to see choice. And and very often what I'm seeing, I suppose, is that, you know, when the world doesn't believe in women, it's hard for the woman to believe in herself. Um, mm. And if we don't believe in ourselves, that will be reflected back to us because we tend, if I don't value myself, then others aren't going to value me either. Yeah. Um, and so, again, it comes back to kind of supporting people to do the inner work so that their outer world can change and then that they're more empowered and feeling stronger and feeling more confident to change their situation. And when they're in the better situation, they're going to help others to change their situation too. So it has that kind of knock on effect. So, so again, you have, you know, people at, at all levels, maybe feeling stuck, maybe feeling trapped in, in a job hearing the negativity, feeding into the fear. Um, or, you know, if they've been working in an organization for a long time, we simply become quite institutionalized and, and unaware. We, we take for granted our own skill sets. We don't realize that we have done some learning and we have done some growing and we have some experience under our belt. Um, so again, it's like you often need that other person, whether that's a coach or whether that's a supportive colleague or, or a leader or a mentor or a counsellor, if there's other stuff coming in for you, it often takes that uh, that kind of outside perspective to because they will often believe in you when you don't. Mm. They will often see the good in you and you need somebody to see the good in you when you even can't. Yeah. See possibilities and options for you when you can't. And so when we're when we're trapped and we're feeling stuck, we're not seeing any perspective. And so it's to empower people really past that point. And then they can be, do the same for others and, and help others along. This is it. This is it. Neve. the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? In a nutshell, for me, what it means is doing what you love and loving what you do. Um, and you didn't, you know, we, we went into different areas there, but I, I think um, meaning and, and purpose, that sense mm. of you know, purpose are becoming more and more important post-COVID. Yeah. And working, you know, being, I, I suppose, being <laughs> supported to work to our strengths, to recognise who we are, what we bring to the table and being allowed to develop our potential in that way. If we're working to our strengths, you can you, you, you can excel. You go into huge potential. Whereas if you're if everybody's always focusing on, oh, well, you need to improve this and you need to improve that, and really they're not your strengths. You're mm -hmm. only able to be average and feel average and perform average. And um, so for me, being happier at work is is that you know doing what you love, love what you're doing. And having balance and having time for those non-work priorities too. Yeah. You're a whole being. You're not just a worker bee. Um, and really coming back to that word we've we've used a few times, Aoife, is more choice in how you run your life. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. And Neve, if people want to reach out, if they want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about what you do, what's the best way they can do that? My website is nevehannon.com, N-I-A-M-H-H-A-N-N-A-N.com. Um, I'm active on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Probably the easiest one is Neve Hannon at, on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, that's where I'm probably most active. So I'd love to hear from your listeners. Send me a message. Ask me a question if there's anything that you've not understood or that doesn't make sense or that you have an, a disagreement with, even from what I said today. Um, 
Um, I also, Aoife, I offer currently, um, I'm, I'm offering core purpose sessions, free sessions to help people to really get clear and a defined purpose statement for themselves, which mm. really resonates, not just from a head level, but from a heart and gut level. Um, um, so people can come along to those sessions for free. Um, and they're usually on a Wednesday evening. I'll have dates set up for the new year. Um, and then I have a couple of new programs for the new year. So I have a core circle for female leaders. That's more Ireland based um, because some of that is in person. And it's really a circle of trust it's for your own personal and professional development. Um, but I'm also on that purpose and meaning side of things. Um, I have a new program which will be starting up at the end of February uh, called my legacy program, helping people to develop their legacy where we'll do the inner work, but also some outer work so that people are actually taking action and putting a plan in place. Yeah, love that, because I think like everyone wants to leave a legacy, don't they? Or maybe not everyone, but uh, certainly. Yeah, well, we have to be careful because I mean, Putin is leaving a legacy right yeah. now. You know, Hitler left a legacy, so we have to be Conscious and again, positive, a positive real, legacy, yeah, <laughs> a positive impact. Yeah, yeah we want to yeah. do that. But again, people aren't thinking about when that so much when they're 20. They're, you know, it, it's often a certain stage in life yeah. when people have already satisfied their basic needs. Mm. And then they begin to look outwards and begin to look at how can I make a difference? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I've just been picking up a lot of that from people coming to me or from conversations and from what people are looking for. Um, so and I've been doing a lot of work in that area for myself. Um, so, yeah, putting together a, a three month program, which will be totally online. So it can be more international as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Neve. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Got very philosophical at times, but I think for anyone who's kind of listening, um, hopefully a lot of, of what we talked about will, will really resonate in in terms of how we as individuals um, can change the world of work. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Isha. My pleasure. And that was Neve Hannon from nevehannon.com. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We did get a little bit philosophical. It was quite a lengthy episode, but it was really interesting conversation nonetheless. And I hope you will agree with me on that. Now, I suppose I wanted to set up this part of the podcast by saying, you know, the entire process premise of today's podcast was this idea of we don't just want to support women to the top of a toxic system. So it's about addressing, I suppose, everything at a at a system level and thinking about that. And, and the fact that previously everything has been dominated by the masculine and feminine typically has not been valued. Um, things like healthy versus unhealthy competition, things like collaboration versus competition and the embracing of core values. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that core values is something I talk an awful lot about. It's what I I did um, my research on as part of my master's. So something really close to my heart. We talked about, I suppose, the epidemics of stress, anxiety, depression and burnout at work and the fact that we are striving and striving and striving to achieve results at work, but at what cost? And, you know, are we actually achieving those results and how do we put more of the human back at work and how do we make work more people centric as opposed to results focused as well? 
One of the really important themes that came up on the podcast again and again was this idea of choice and having a choice. Now, again, this ties in with some research that I did as part of my master's in relation to the need for autonomy. It's one of our basic psychological needs at work, the need for autonomy. And for me, it's a sense of choice and control over what you do and how you do it. And when you see the news of global companies, there's a lot in the news these days of mandates back to the office and forcing people back to the office, even when they don't want to do it. But when you do that, it has a direct impact on our sense of autonomy, our feeling of engagement at work as well. And there's a huge resistance to actually doing that without good reason. So if you're going into the office simply to sit there at, you know, and 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 be on Zoom meetings all day when you could be doing that from home, then it really makes no sense. On the other hand, I can see how, you know, it's really powerful to be able to connect with people in person. And I really feel that we can relate better to people when we are there in person. But mandating people back to the office, in my view, is not really the way to do it. We talked about this idea of consciously creating the environment as well that we want to be in. And uh, we talked a little bit about the, the all of the research that backs up supporting things like emotional intelligence, empathy, caring and collaboration at work, which have typically been undervalued. But we can see the science behind it. But businesses are a little bit slower to change. And again, we don't don't have between myself and Eve, we don't have all of the answers, but it'd be really great if you had any thoughts around this. Are you making those kind of changes or do you wish those kinds of changes would happen in your workplace as well? We talked about other things like psychological safety, which again is something that has come up again and again on the podcast, alignment of values, which I touched on earlier. Um, leaders are not being promoted for their empathy and their people skills. They're typically promoted for the results that they achieve in business. And to me, this sends a clear message to people about what is valued here. So you're showing people what's valued by who you promote and who you reward and who you recognize at work. Uh, one of the answers that was proposed is investing in leaders. So supporting leaders with coaching and with doing the inner work to build their own self-awareness and this idea of taking radical responsibility. So it's not about putting the blame on other people or it's not even assigning blame at all. Is thinking about what impact leaders have on others and the impact that leaders have is magnified throughout the organisation the higher they go. So as leaders, they really need to do that work so that they don't take it into the office. And again, this ties in with one of the podcasts that came out pre-Christmas around this idea of taking personal responsibility for doing the work on ourselves that needs to be done in order to excel as a human, in order to perform better, in order not to put the blame on others. And it's, you know, it's about being really conscious about that and, and developing our own self-awareness so that we can manage ourselves better. The thing I want to leave you with today then is really thinking about, and I think that the the pandemic has given us this opportunity, really thinking about what meaning and purpose work has in your life. What is it that you want to achieve? What impact would you like to have on the world? Or as I always like to think about it, what problem are you trying to solve? I'm a total problem solver. So I always like to think of it as what problem do you see in the world that you want to try and solve? And the other thing is 
about working to our strengths. So often we are so focused on our weaknesses and mitigating our weaknesses that we are average at best. It's about focusing on your strengths, knowing what those strengths are to begin with and being able to positively talk about our strengths and not feel kind of cringy talking about them as well. And so there are two things that I wanted to leave you with today. I'd love for you to get involved in the conversation on social media. As I mentioned, you'll find all of my social channels on happieratwork.ie. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode, anything that you might do differently, any disagreements that you had with what we talked about today, any problems that you encountered in trying to implement change in your organisation. I'd absolutely love to hear about it. I'll be back again next week with a solo episode and I look forward to sharing my thoughts with you then. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie. 